Ask Father with Father Isaac and Father Rodriguez. A question and answer session which concluded the 2019 Army of Advocates Conference in Houston, Texas, hosted by the Fatima Center. So, fathers, I'll begin with uh, questions uh, that uh, three questions I'm going to put together that have to do with the new mass and the traditional mass. So, just bear with me. What can I do if the traditional mass is not offered where I live? Should I stop going to mass? The second question is: I'm involved in the new mass. I never knew about the traditional mass, and I went to private school until I went to college. Is going to the new mass a sin, and how can I abandon my my parish and go to to the traditional mass? I perform in the choir in the new mass, and it's it's my worship to God. And last, in the same vein, I've heard from a Novus Ordo priest that we should suffer at the Novus Ordo mass instead of going to the SSPX. What do you what do you say in response to that? So, fathers. I'll go ahead and begin to give some responses. I hope I remember everything there. The first thing I'd like to preface um, kind of my comments with is that I think it's important for all of us to realize that these are controversial and difficult questions uh, because it has to do also with just the, just the terrible crisis that there is in the church. If things were really the way they should be, we wouldn't have to be dealing with all these issues. Even just, for example, one question was, if I don't have access to the traditional Latin Mass, well, then what should I do? See, that shouldn't be that way. Um, the traditional Latin Mass should be made available really everywhere so that you wouldn't have difficulty in getting to the traditional Latin Mass. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. And so in a situation like that, I would say what's happening is you're already having to deal with the sins and failings of priests and bishops that are not providing the Latin Mass when they should. Um, but most definitely, I would recommend all Catholics, I would strongly recommend to all Catholics, don't go to the new Mass. Go to just go only to the traditional Latin Mass. And again, because there's a lot at stake, this isn't a question primarily of personal preferences or um, yeah, what might it be, or even, you know, some people will, will tell me, well, Father, I know that the traditional Latin Mass is superior to the new Mass, but, like, is the new Mass still valid? And I'll say, look, Certainly the traditional Latin Mass is superior to the new Mass, but it's not just a question of the validity because I would, let's say, grant the validity. It's not necessarily valid, but for, for now, let's just grant and say the new Mass is valid. Let's not open that can of worms. So uh, granting that the new Mass is valid, there's still very, very grave defects in the new Mass. And when you really look at it objectively, uh, the new mass is a break. Is, and, and think, when I say it's a break, the, another word for break is schism. It, it, it is a break with the liturgical tradition of the Catholic Church. That in itself is a very serious problem. 
we oftentimes don't think of, a lot of times when we think of obedience, we think of obedience just in terms of, well, I've got to obey my superior. We think of of an individual person. We also have to be supremely obedient to the Catholic Church in, in her tradition, especially in her liturgical tradition. And so just the fact that there's been this radical break with the 2,000-year liturgical tradition of the church, it's a very grave sin of disobedience. Um, and even just on that count, I would say, you know, again, avoid the, the new mass. Um, for those that, let's say, the question was, well, it's far away, look, I would say make a sacrifice. I mean, you're asking my advice, I'm telling you my advice, and it's make a sacrifice, and if you need to drive an hour, if you need to drive two hours, if you need to drive three hours, drive those hours. Um, some years ago, I was speaking with a family, and I was really impressed, because they were, they were talking about years back when the Latin Mass was less accessible, and... They, if I remember correctly, I think they were driving every single Sunday about five hours one way. And so they would leave their home like at 4 a.m. And they had like, I don't know, like five or six children, small children also. So they would leave like, let's say maybe, I forget exactly, but let's just say 4 a.m. or 4 or 5 a.m. The mass was maybe like around 11. Maybe there was a time change in there. I don't know. But, you know, they'd go to Mass after it's going to eat, and they'd basically be back home, whatever, let's say 7 p.m. Um, but I think that once you really begin to believe, and that's the big thing, in um, what's truly taking place at Mass and also what's occurring in, in, in the Catholic Church in terms of the crisis, that you become more and more willing to make those sacrifices. So I would definitely recommend to the faithful, look, make whatever sacrifice you need to make. Uh, I don't know if I probably didn't answer everything. Do you want to? Uh, you, yeah, maybe the Father can add a, something. Just to add to that is, uh, you know, you can't outdo God in generosity. So uh, the most important part of your week is going to be to, uh, going to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And because we need these graces. We need the Eucharist to survive, especially the persecutions that we're going through right now, and to remain strong in the faith. And so when you make that sacrifice, God is going to bless you a thousand times more because seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will follow. And so I always use the examples when the, when the Catholic Mass was outlawed in Ireland. And if you were caught at a Mass, if a priest was caught at a Mass, it would be put to death. If you were caught at the Mass with your family, you could be put to death. And so these Irish men would wake their family up, and they had 10, 11, 12 kids because they didn't use contraceptives. And they would walk, march their kids and their wife through the dark woods for two hours, a walk in the pitch dark, so they couldn't get caught by the... And they would have a Mass rock somewhere. And then they'd have men on the lookout for the, for the, for the British do we have that love for the Eucharist? Are you willing to do that? And the answer is most people can say no, they don't have that love. And if we don't have it, we need it and we have to pray for it. And God says he'll give you your heart's desire. What's your heart's desire? Do you really believe that that's the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus Christ? And the other thing, this question comes up every time we do this. So uh, I, you should pray to God then. And move. Because nothing's more important than that. And if you're going to move with the intentions, I want to go with this, 
where I could have the Trinity Mass, not just on Sundays, but every day. There's certain locations in the United States now where you have the Fraternity of St. Peter, the Institute of Christ the King, you have uh, the Society of Pius X. You've got, you got three different options in one town sometimes. And so I believe if a man who's the head of the house says, that's it, we'll go, do a novena to Our Lady, say, show me where I have to move, get me the job, you will get the job, and you will move and it will bring great, great blessings to your house, to your family. The greatest gift you could have is to receive the Eucharist every day, every day. And as far as that statement about should you suffer the new Mass and go to the Society of Pius X, that's nonsense. Because some people accuse the Society of Pius X of being schismatic. That's a lie. They accept the authority of the Pope. They have pictures of the Pope in all their chapels, and they pray for Pope Francis in the canon. So they're not schismatic. What's worse than being a schismatic, my friends, is being a heretic. So I tell these people, they come to me, they tell me their pastor's a homosexual. He preaches it. He's a heretic. And I say, you don't want to go to Society Pies 10 when your priest is a homosexual or a heretic? Are you on drugs? Our next question... Please clarify the proper fasting rules for Lent. Okay, well, I, I, tell, I tell Father Isaac, easy enough. And he says, well, go ahead. I said, no, you vote. Okay, let's hope I don't get this wrong. Um, fasting. Uh, fasting for Lent, uh, following the uh, traditional discipline of the Catholic Church, which, again, you know, we strongly urge you to do. Because I think it's a good question also because it's just so sad to see how the very ancient and, you know, beautiful in terms of just the spiritual benefits, discipline of fasting, how that's also been um, thrown out the window, so to speak, in our, our life as Catholics. The traditional uh, norms for fasting are uh, every single day in Lent, with the exception of Sundays. So... Starting on Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday is a day of fast, and all of the days of Lent are days of fasting all the way through Holy Saturday, with the exception of the Sundays. So basically you have 40 days of fasting. Um, in terms of what constitutes fasting, the bare minimum would be kind of roughly 60% of your normal intake. So what that comes out to be, if a person, let's say, eats three regular meals, that would be one normal meal, and then the other two meals combined would be less than a normal meal. Obviously, if you don't eat three regular meals, well, then that rule doesn't really apply to you. That's why I said roughly the 60%. I, for example, don't eat three regular meals. So... What one needs to do is kind of look to consume, let's say, roughly 60% of what one normally does. And that would be like, let's say, the, 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 the minimal, let's say, fast. Obviously, you can do different forms of fasting. I mean, for example, one could do a more rigorous fast. You could say, well, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm to fast on, let's say, just whatever, bread and water. You certainly can do that. Um, Obviously, in terms of the food intake, also, you're, you're not eating between meals. I mean, when you're fasting, there's, you know, no, there's no eating in, in between the, the fixed times of when, when you're going to fast. Um, 
But I would also emphasize, uh, don't fall into the trap of just thinking about the letter of the law. I mean, in terms of fasting, really make an effort. I would say make an, an effort for it to be sacrificial. Uh, really do your best to try to offer up that sacrifice for um, different intentions. I mean, for your own conversion, spiritual conversion, for the conversion of family members, for the conversion of the church, for the Holy Father, for our bishops. I mean, all those things. I mean, try to um, include intentions in your fasting. Um, uh, do the best that you can to also in that way unite yourself to our Lord and, you know, the tradition of all our saints who did a, you know, a Lenten 40-day fast. Um, and see the beauty in that also because, again, Lent, you know, it, it's serious business. You've got a, a, a 40-day fast. Uh, and again, with the, with the new discipline after the Second Vatican Council, that was completely thrown out the window and if I'm not mistaken, really, the only days that are fasting in the, in the, with the new discipline are Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. And probably the majority of Catholics, uh, I, I kind of say Novus Ordo land, you know, kind of in the mainstream uh, church, they probably most of them don't even fast on those days, on, on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. So, um, yeah. The, the, what, one other quick comment just on the fasting. I mean, look, it, it's, a, it's a tragedy that fasting is almost non-existent, especially when you're talking about the church as a whole. Fasting is almost non-existent today in, in, in the Catholic Church. I mean, I'd say that's a total, total tragedy. Our Lord himself says that there are certain demons that the only way you're going to be able to exorcise them is with serious prayer and fasting. And we've got a lot of demons right now running out, wrecking havoc in the church. And one of the reasons why they continue to wreck that havoc is because there's basically no corporate in terms of the church as a whole. There's basically no more corporate uh, prayer and fasting, non-existent. Father Isaac, what does it mean to be a good man in this modern age? <laughs> You need another conference for that, you know. But uh, basically, a good man is going to follow the commandments of God and the, and the teachings of the church. A good man is going to follow St. Joseph, you know. A good man is going to be a chaste man according to his vocation. A good man is a responsible man. A good man is going to provide for his family. Even if he has to go up and pick up cans, I don't care. A good man doesn't let his wife work. Uh, I, you know, we keep on going on and on and on, and people don't like to hear that today. And a good man, you know, like I said, this feminist movement has destroyed the church, society, it's turned everything upside down. You got women in the work market now trying to taking the jobs away from good men. It's it's crazy. The devil's having a, a feast out there. So these are some of the things I say to be a good man. And a good man has to be on his knees. A good man. If he's married, he's going to lead his family in prayer. A good man is going to, you know, make sure his family is embracing the Lenten fast and things like that. He leads by example first. A good man disciplines his children. A good man is not an effeminate man. So I think that covers good part. Father Rodriguez, how does one obtain a true charity... Uh, it is for it is beyond ourselves to obtain this virtue. How can we really love God above all things and love our neighbors as ourselves, uh, even uh, even our enemies?
That's the that's one of the uh, efforts of our entire life as as Catholics. I mean, to really grow in the virtue of charity. Obviously, first and foremost, we have to um, remain in a state of, of grace. I mean, that's absolutely essential if we're going to be able to grow in in charity. I mean, we lose the state of we we lose the state of grace. We're going to lose uh, charity. We have to. Uh, so, I would say, first and foremost, you. You know, you know, make it a top priority to, to do your best to remain in a state of grace. What does that mean? Well, even just some of the things that Father Isaac just finished mentioning. I mean, you keep the commandments of God. You uh, follow the teachings of the church. You obviously uh, do your best to go to confession on a regular basis. Uh, obviously, you're going to Mass, receiving Holy Communion. I would emphasize especially that. I mean, when you're talking about charity, uh, I think... Two of the big things that I would say to really be able to grow in the virtue of charity is, one, obviously to pray for it. I mean, you have to pray for that grace. So, I mean, definitely pray and ask God to help you to grow in the, in, in the virtue of charity. Definitely also pray and ask our Blessed Mother uh, for help in that regard. Uh, obviously, the, you, you can always add the angels and saints in your garden angel. That's always a good help. All, all, the, all the help that you can get in terms of uh, the heavenly army interceding for you to be able to grow in charity, that's going to be a big help. So do all those things. But I would also encourage you to pay special close attention to Holy Communion. I mean, that when you go to Holy Communion, I mean, truly, that is the great sacrament of charity, of, uh, of the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for each one of us. And so I'd say, look, really um, pray, for example, the act of charity uh, with great faith and devotion as you prepare for Holy Communion. There are a lot of beautiful prayers that you can pray in preparation for Holy Communion that express um, ver- uh, charity, charity for God and even charity for, for one's neighbor. So I'd say use the, the time of Holy Communion to really also um, pray for that virtue. And to make that also an intention of your Holy Communion, that you will be able to grow in charity. Obviously, charity first and foremost, love for God, but obviously also love for one's neighbor. Um, so all of those are ways that I would encourage you, you to, to do to, to grow in the virtue of charity. Obviously, I mentioned act of charity. I would say, yes, you know, pray your act of charity, you know, every morning along with the act of faith and hope. But pray the act of charity. And again, don't just zip through the prayers. Sometimes that's what we tend to do. We, we just zip through the prayers to kind of like, let's say, fulfill obligations. I mean, definitely try to fight against that that temptation and really pray the, the prayer with great uh, faith. Uh, and then uh, be prepared because God's going to give you many opportunities to practice charity. I tell you for sure. And be ready to uh, respond in those instances, especially when, I'd say especially between spouses. Um, there are many, many times where maybe we don't really feel like being that charitable towards our husband or towards our wife. And that's where you need to make a special uh, act of self-denial. And you look at the cross, take a good look at the cross of our Savior Jesus Christ. Make a, a quick little prayer there to our Blessed Mother to ask for her help. And you uh, do your best to... Uh, to, to practice charity in those in those instances that are that are that are difficult. I mean, when you have if you have people that speak ill of you or ignore you or or you know whatever don't greet you or whatever it might be, um, use those opportunities to say I'm going to return uh, charity to those who um, obviously are not being charitable towards me. Just add to that. Uh, <clears throat> 
examination of conscience is a very important part of your spiritual life. And I could say in religious life, the religious do two examinations normally. One at midday before you eat, and then one at night before you go to bed. And the midday one should be to attack your prominent vice, and then at night's a general. But you could examine your conscience if you're trying to grow in charity. Did I violate, uh, violate that virtue? Have I been uncharitable? And so that will help you. And one other thing, I was just thinking in uh, an example of practicing charity towards others, St. Teresa the Little Flower, when she was in the convent, uh, when it came time for recreation, she had two of her biological sisters in the same convent, and she was allowed to recreate with them at recreation and talk to them. But no, she chose to recreate all the time with this particular nun that she had a natural dislike for. And she, she, she just poured tons of love on that nun. And in the world would say, Teresa's a hypocrite. But no, she did it for the love of God. And when she died, that nun says, she loved me more than the rest of you. <laughs> so, you know, we get many opportunities, as Father said, uh, just said, to really exercise. But I'll tell you one thing. You can forget about exercise and charity if you're not going to pray. If you're not going to do your mental prayer, you're not going to do your rosary, you're not going to exercise charity. In a similar vein, Father Isaac, could you uh, explain how one obtains true humility and give examples of uh, people who exercise true humility? Well, true humility, first you look at Jesus Christ, <laughs> and then you look at his mother, Queen of Heaven and Earth. Like I said in the conference uh, sermon this morning, a lady was totally humble, Queen of Heaven and Earth. She, she was exiled to Egypt with her son. I mean, no food, no shelter. She didn't complain. Humility, basically, the, the, a quick definition is to be grounded in the truth, to know who God is and know who you are. God's everything. We're nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. And so humility, just as Father said, you want charity, you've got to pray, but be ready. God's going to give you many opportunities to exercise it. Because just like if you want to get big muscles, you go to the gym, you've got to exercise even more so with virtue. And virtue is a consistent, you know, it's a habit. You're over and over again, and you're growing this virtue. But when you pray for the virtue of humility, you, you please pray for the efficacious grace that you will accept the humiliations that God will send your way. Because when you pray for humility, the only way it's going to happen, believe it or not, is you're going to be humiliated. And there's a litany of humility that I've, People say, I can't pray this, Father. I can't pray. I know people, they start praying it. They say, Father, all hell broke loose. And then I start praying a litany of... Some people can't even get the words out of their, out of their mouth. Because it's, it's, it's... So pray the litany of humility. But that's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to come up, going to insult you, going to challenge you. And, and don't worry. If you fall... Be humble. Don't be shocked. If you're shocked that you, that you fell and, and, and you didn't exercise humility, that's a sign you're not humble. <laughs> you know? So don't be shocked. In humility, we, we, in my weakness, God is most powerful. So when we're humble, we accept our weakness. First of all, we identify our prominent vice. And we, we say, yes, this is, I, got, I have this problem. 
you know, you, and, and you want help, you seek help. So these are some of the things for humility. And as far as humility, just read the lives of the saints. I mean, it's constantly, they, they, they lived a life of total humility. They understood who God was, and they understood who they were. I, I wouldn't add anything uh, to what Father Isaac said. I would just emphasize two of the things that he said, because they're the first things that also came to my mind. And that's, one, he mentioned the litany of humility. I definitely would recommend, look, pray that litany of humility. I was looking to see if I had my, my missile. It's in the, if you have the 1962 Angelus Press missile, it's in the back, like, I don't know, page 1890 or 19, it's there, but it's, um, uh, if you, if you're not familiar with it, I definitely would encourage you to familiarize yourself with it. And then also what Father Isaac said, definitely I second that. I've experienced it. I know people that it's happened to, they start praying that litany of humility. And they start getting all kinds of humiliations, and it's not always necessarily easy to respond. But the, the point is, is that if you're really praying with sincerity to grow in the virtue of humility, God's going to respond. So again, you, you, you need to brace yourself. Just two more things. It's, uh, one, there's a great book. It's called Humility of Heart by Bagamo. And tan books, I don't know if they still sell it. I hope they do, but you could get it online. It's a beautiful book. And the other thing is, in your prayer, another petition which is really powerful, and be ready because you're going to get rocked when you pray this prayer. Dear Lord, or Blessed Mother, please reveal to me my hidden pride. Oh, oh you're in for a surprise. Because <laughs> we all are prideful. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, it's all about I, 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 I. And so when you say, please reveal to me my hidden pride, it's going to pop out. It's like getting hit in the head with a sledgehammer. And then that's where the real test, are you going to stop praying that? Are you going to stop seeking humility or are you going to run? Father Michael, what version of the Bible should I be reading? Dewey Rames. Dewey Rames. Short answer. Yeah, no, it just said you've got, the, the, the question is there because you have a lot of more modern translations of the Bible that have different problems. Not necessarily the biggest problems, but no, the one that's the most faithful translation in English is the Dewey Rames. So that's the one I would recommend. Uh, yeah. Father Isaac, uh, this is a question that has to do with the practical application of the Catholic faith uh, in, in family life. In addition to instructing and praying for our children's vocations, what have you witnessed as successful efforts parents have engaged in to assist their near adult children in either taking permanent vows, uh, either religious vows or matrimonial vows? Uh, you know, it's a good question, and uh, first of all, the adults, when they're adults, it's, it's, it's kind of late already, you know? So it starts from the moment they're in your your womb, if you're the mother and the father, that you consecrate that baby the minute you conceive that you know that you have a baby in your womb. You and your husband should consecrate that baby to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And at that moment, that baby becomes a possession and property of the Blessed Virgin, and you pray that you'll bring that baby to the fruits of baptism, you know, that the baby will be baptized. 
and you constantly pray from that day moment that the Blessed Virgin will grant that child the grace to know its true vocation. Very, very important. And so one of the things as family is that you should be doing the whole rosary every day. Now, some of these people, and I don't cut them slack, well, Father, the kids are running around wild, uh, you know, so we only do one decade. No way, that's nonsense. You have to do the whole rosary together. You train your kids, and it can happen. Yeah, it can be in the beginning, but you pray. And in the beginning, petition. St. Louis de Montfort said, if you pray the rosary, you become a saint. Why don't we become saints if we're praying the rosary? He gives a couple of reasons. One of the reasons, he says, we don't pray for the virtues that we're in need of. At that time, it may be humility, it may be uh, charity, whatever it is at that time. So when you pray the rosary, always pray that God will reveal to each child their true vocation and help you to assist that child to sh- uh, in their true vocation. But St. Alphonse warns parents, because some, especially in our time today, even more so I think than ever, that some parents, and I've heard them say to me, Father, over my dead body will my son become a priest in today's church. I said, you better watch what you pray, what you say, because it may be over your dead body. God may strike you. But you're not supposed to interfere. These are very important. You're not supposed to interfere with your son or daughter's vocation. You, you, you're not supposed to pester them. You're not supposed to push them in any direction whatsoever. But you push them to be disposed, to have what St. Alphonse says, a, holy, a spirit of holy indifference, that it doesn't matter. Whatever you have chosen for me, Lord, you have chosen before the world existed, before you formed me in my mother's womb. Reveal it to me. And, and St. Alphonse, once again, as I, I don't know if I said it this morning, he said that your salvation is connected with your vocation. The graces for your salvation are in that vocation. And so, as you grow as parents, you have obligations with your children to form them in the school of the saints. You have an obligation to, uh, David, he gave a very good talk today, and I enjoyed it myself. And he pointed out, too, uh, some of the things he's doing to his family. He said every child has a different vice, basically. And, and that's your job as parents, to point out the particular vice of each child. But then you don't stop there. Then you've got to get the remedies to uproot that vice. You can't discipline two children the same way. Every child is different. And so these are part of the thing. So by training your children to be saints, by training them to be obedient. But most parents, my friends, really fail in the discipline because they train their children to be disobedient. What do I mean by that? Johnny, don't do that. Johnny has a little devilish smile. He does it again. Johnny, don't do that. Johnny, don't do that. So Johnny knows I can get dad to say that uh, five times. Ma, I can get her to say eight times. And they'll always push for six and nine times. So what are you doing? You're, you're telling your kid, when you give him a command, it's like, yeah, I'm teaching you to disobey me because I never, you, it's, it don't, now people are going to take this wrong, but whatever, I'm using an analogy. It's like training a dog in, 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 in you know, it's, there's, there's a book called How to Train Up a Child. And, 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 and when you train an animal, guess who gets trained? Not the animal, it's the, it's the master. 
And they tell you, never give the dog more than one command. One of the principles for disciplining children, you never tell them more than once. Here's another principle. You never yell. You never raise your voice. That's a tough one, huh? Never yell. Number three, you must be consistent. Consistent. Number four, when you give a punishment, you the punishment don't, and you don't want to do it. If like if you're the father, you're the head disciplinary, not the wife, and that's part of the problem today. That's why we have a lot of feminine young boys today. They're feminine because their mommy's taking the role of the daddy. All right, and this is nonsense. The father's a head disciplinary, and he doesn't have to yell. But you never, you never. If you give in once, you could lose the whole battle. And 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 I don't. And as far as uh, physical discipline, there's usually no need for that. If you start from when your kid's young, this all has to do with because uh, you're teaching them obedience. Who ultimately to God. So when your kid grows up disobeying, disobeying, I could, my dad will tell me five times I can still get away with it. And then you give him ice cream after he's been disobedient. No. But by the time, so now the kid's growing up, you're disciplining him. You're focusing on his particular vice, her vice. You're teaching him the virtues. You know, you got a lot of pride, so we're going to focus on every day. I want you to sit down. Pray to Our Lady, three Hail Marys in the morning when you wake up for the virtue of humility and to accept the humiliations. So you're training and training them. And you're always training them for what? To seek God's will with your whole heart and then to accept it. That kid will know his vocation and then you don't interfere. Once again, because St. Alphonse, he even advised in his books like Dignities of the Duty, if you have a vocation to the priesthood, do not tell your parents. His father didn't want to let him become a priest for many years. And so, St. Alphonse, and I'll stop. I don't want to go on taking up all the time. I'm sure Father wants to talk. Uh, you're, doing, you're doing a great job. Yeah. You're doing a great but job, Father Isaac. St. Alphonse says there's many parents in hell because they did not let their children answer the vocation that God called that child to. So sometimes they force the kid to become a priest, say, or they force them to get married. Imagine years ago they said, oh, they arranged marriages. You had to marry someone you didn't, weren't even attracted to, you didn't even see, you just met them and you're marrying them. I mean, you could cost a loss of souls like this. And so he says, so, so the parents have to really be virtuous. And, and, and kind of, you know, you could say, you know, help them as much, but don't be forceful. Don't be. My mother, she never told me what she did until she dropped me off at the seminary. I was away from God for 17 years. But when she brought me to the seminary, she said, I want to tell you something I never told you. I said, what? She goes, I consecrated you in my womb to be a priest to the Blessed Virgin. When you were born, I renewed it. And then she wrote to Padre Pio requesting to be a spiritual child and praying that uh, they say, please pray for my son. If it's meant that he be a priest, that, he's, that he does become one. And Padre Pio wrote her back and told her I would become a priest one day. But I went away for 17 years. My mother never told me that. And she told me the reason I never told you is because I didn't want you to do my will but God's will. And she didn't pressure me. That's the correct attitude. So. I'll just say a few words. Um... 
the the question specifically asked on the children that are near I mean let's say close to being adults so I mean everything that Father Isaac said I think was obviously spot on I mean in terms of that you have to start from the very beginning in terms of how you're raising your children I think that if let's say you've had your own conversion as parents and let's say your children now are teenagers or, or, or let's say whatever very close to 18 or 21 or whatever the age might be and you're you're trying to help them in terms of uh, helping them to discern their vocation um, and also even just you know providing good guidance for them. Obviously, it's a lot more difficult if from the very beginning you you haven't consistently been been, been raising them really faithful to your and their baptismal vows, you know, faithful to the faith, all those things. Uh, I think still at that point, some some things to keep in mind. Um, and this, even in raising your children, again, I think the lives of the saints are extremely important. I think that even if you can get your older children to read a little, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy, but to at least make it available and encourage them to read on the lives of the saints, uh, that will always help. I mean, they, you know, really lived out their vocations well. And so even if, let's say, one of your children is, let's say, called to married life, I mean, if they're familiar with a lot of the saints that they say became priests or, or, or women religious, that's still going to help them a lot in terms of discerning their, their, their vocation, whether or not it's, even if it's, let's say, to, to marriage. So, and then I, 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 so basically I would say, do the best that you can to encourage them to read the lives of the saints and also to learn the faith well, because the, the more that we know our Catholic faith, the more we're going to grow in our love for God and the more disposed we're going to be to do God's will and to put him first. Um, one of the big problems of why, the, 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 let's say, the children or even the more adult children, they're not discerning well their vocations is because their minds and their hearts are full of the world. And if your mind and your heart is full of the world, how are you going to discern God's will? Um, anything, all those little things that are done, not necessarily that little, but again, just... Yeah, Time that you pray with the, the children, encourage, and again, they're getting closer to being adults, just do the best you can to encourage them. Encouraging them to pray, encouraging them to read the lives of the saints, and encouraging them to learn their, their faith better. And then the last thing I would say is, for you parents, I mean, again, if it's children that are, let's say, close to being adults, and you recognize in humility, we've been talking about the virtue of humility, if you recognize in humility that you've dropped the ball, to put it mildly, in many ways in the past, well, then recognize, okay, I need to make reparation here for the sins of my past life, and like Father Isaac says, you get on your knees more than you've gotten before, ask our Lord forgiveness for the sins of your past life, make, make you know, special sacrifices, really make an effort to sanctify yourself, um, and I mean an extra effort, because the holier you become, the better instrument you're going to be of God's grace to be able to, you know, uh, even turn around a, the hard heart, if you want to use that term, of uh, one of your children who, let's say, is already uh, close to being an adult. Yes, I got this is so important what we're talking about, even if we don't get to another question. I know Kevin likes to keep moving, but uh, the bottom line is, you know, that part of the question is, is important. And there's two things I want to add about the, you know, your ch children that are teenagers now ready to move on. 
if it's for marriage, it's, it's really important that if they're not, or they, that you never let your children date. Dating is from the pits of hell. It's called what the church has always advised, honorable courtship. And this is so, so important because once you lose your purity, man, it's, it's, forget about it. And, you, and then they get lust mixed up with love and all this nonsense. Never let your children date honorable courtship. And, and we, maybe one of the conferences we could have a whole talk on honorable courtship, which I think is really important. And this is where you need a real man as a father that, to, to lead. And that's why, you know, honorable courtship is done in the family, that if this young man wants to court your daughter, first he needs your permission. <laughs> yeah, he has to come here. <laughs> you want to court my daughter when you got a, a bar through your nose, you got ear, earrings this big? <laughs> I don't think so, my friend. <laughs> Take a hike, <laughs> you know. So it's really important, courtship. And number two, never marry outside the faith. This is so important. I hear this, well, Father, I, I married uh, 40, 50 years, and I was a Lutheran, my husband. Okay, there's exceptions to the rule. But the basic thing is do not marry outside the faith because look at the, the, the problems in the Catholic Church today. Those in the church are so messed up. There's no unity. And outside the church, because what happens? I had, a, I had somebody, they married a Jewish man, and a Jewish man said, you think I'm going to let my little son go to confession to these pedophile priests? What? you got a problem now. And then one more thing, and, and I want to say as far as vocations now, and this is so important, that if your son or daughter is called to religious life, what to the priesthood say? So you cannot, St. Alphonse says, you cannot join a community that's not faithful to the original charism of their founder and faithful totally to the church. You hear what I just said? That should, it's scary because where can you send a young man or a woman today to religious life? Very rare. And second of all, I would never recommend anything that doesn't have the traditional message, just like a foundation. It, it, it's, you know, non-negotiable. Don't go join a Nova Soto community. I don't care what anyone says. Don't do it. And don't join a community that's not faithful to the charism of the founder. Okay? And, and, and so this is important. And as becoming a priest, and, and, and they get these men, they say, well, I, I'm going to convert the diocese. I'm going to convert the Jesuits. I say, oh, yeah. And what happens is the Jesuits convert you. You become a heretic like most of them. So these, those are some of the important things that as a parent, you could still have your input and say, son, you're making a mistake. Maybe go see Father Rodriguez and talk to him. And uh, do you really want to join the Jesuits? Because don't you laugh, but I've seen many good men think they're going to go, and that's pride to the ultimate, that I'm going to go and reform an order that's been around 500 years. You're going up against hell itself, my friends. Uh, the next question is for either of you. Please explain why yoga should not be used for exercise by Catholics. <laughs> well, put it, the, the church has spoken on it. I don't have the documents. If I'd like to do uh, articulate it better than I'm going to do now, but 
basically it's Eastern, it's from Eastern mysticism. And when you're doing yoga, you're putting your body in positions of their goddesses and, and their false uh, gods. And you're disposing your body for, for demonic things. And demonic things do happy, happen. And so I do not recommend uh, uh, yoga at all. Exorcists and exorcism. Uh, you talk to an exorcist that's been around, he'll tell you no way. Remember... I don't. I think it was Pope Benedict or some. Uh, well, the gods of the demons, uh, the gods of the pagans, are demons. It says in 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 uh, the Bible, and it's true. And Father Gabriel Martin, who was the exorcist for 21 years, the head exorcist of Rome, says that all these Eastern mysticism is an open door to the occult, basically. And it is. You're running across demons. And so you don't want to start disposing your body for certain positions that's inviting things, and it's, it's, it's just really bad. And then what's even worse, if you start doing their meditations and their mantras, their mantras, they won't tell you what they mean, but if you push them, they're names of demons. And so they tell people to, to get on their head, stand up against the wall, and just repeat this word 10, 20, 30 times. Keep repeating it, humming and and, and it's all nonsense because it's not nonsense. It's dangerous. They empty yourself. Eastern mysticism, you empty yourself. When you empty yourself, you're leaving yourself open. For what? For evil. If you're a Catholic, you have the Holy Trinity dwelling in you as in, as in the state of grace. And so it's really bad. There's a lot more stuff. I wish I'd give even a more in-depth uh, answer. But I'm telling you, you're playing with fire. When you play with fire, my friends, you get burnt. And... Uh, the demons are very powerful once you let them in, and 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 in and not only now yoga. In we're living in society, it's a narcissistic society now, and it's and it, the body rules today, and so I'd be careful all of you too. I don't believe that you could go to a gym today. Because most of the gyms are very immodest. You have men, women dressing very immodest with these tight pants, uh, spandex and this and that, and, and their pickup joints. It's disgusting. And you gotta watch. Now don't worry, we have, uh, don't, don't get me wrong, our, we're body and soul. And we should take care of our body because it's a temple. But most people, my friends, that get in, into too much of this exercise, it, they start worshiping their bodies. It becomes idolatry, you know. And I, I really say keep it really under control. Do some exercise. You know, it's good to keep healthy. You keep healthy, too. Your spiritual life is going to be good, too, because uh, it helps. But be careful that you don't fall into some of these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, the next question, again, is for either of you. Uh, the Pope and the U.S. bishops have invoked the gospel uh, to uh, justify a position that they take on illegal immigration, uh, more specifically open borders. Uh, does the gospel stand for the propositions being proposed by the Pope and the U.S. bishops? And if not, what does the gospel say about, uh, if anything, about um, the way we should be treating immigrants, illegal immigrants? <laughs> All right. I guess uh, I guess I I get the question, the million dollar question. There, I'm I I don't know if all of you know, but yes, I'm I'm right on the border. So I 
I'm usually I'm between El Paso, Texas, and Presidio, Texas, between the two towns, and both of them are actually right. They're both border towns. El Paso is obviously a lot larger, Presidio is smaller, but they're both right, you know, on the border. Um, I would just say this. Um, well, there's a lot. There's quite a bit I'd like to say, but I'll make a few uh, first, maybe general comments. I think that in general, one of the sad things. And again, this is kind of, it's not immediately addressing the question, but I think one of the sad things is that in our beloved church today, uh, things have become so secularized. I mean, our Catholic faith has become so, so secularized that even what is evaluated as good is seen as just what is good in terms of material things. In other words, kind of an overvaluation of what we might call the corporal works of mercy to the detriment of the spiritual works of mercy. So kind of like that we've created this kind of Catholicism that is kind of like social work. I mean, like we have to feed the hungry, we have to give drink to the thirsty, we have to, whatever, shelter the homeless. Now, obviously, those are extremely important. I mean, they're the corporal works of mercy. I mean, that is, those are very important ways that we practice charity. But they can never be given priority over the spiritual works of mercy, where you care for souls. And I think it's just sad because you see so many of our modern day prelates where they seem more concerned with political and social issues and let's say the temporal well-being of people, which in, in, I mean, in and of itself, I mean, there is some good, but never when you're putting that above the spiritual care, and that's where the main focus of particularly, like, let's say, the Pope, the bishops, and the priests has to be um, on the, the spiritual care. So I just say that is kind of in general because it just frustrates me to no end that there seems to be all this focus on, let's say, the issue of immigration and yet everything's falling down in our Catholic Church. And I mean everything's falling down in our Catholic Church. We, we no longer even have true worship, true doctrine. And that's where our focus should mainly be, as, as, especially as bishops, but also as priests. Because when all is said and done, I would say, what good is it going to do if, let's say, you're able to help temporally, materially, a lot of, let's say, poor people... And you can no longer even give them the Catholic faith. And you're giving them a, a, a counterfeit Catholicism, a false, false Catholicism. I mean, in the end, what's going to happen is you're all going to be condemning yourselves to hell. I mean, it, it, you know, what are you doing? So I, 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 I preface it, you know, by, by emphasizing that. And then the other larger point that I would also make is, look, the whole question right now, I think, in the United States of immigration is pretty complex. And that's why I think one has to be careful, because I don't think it's as simple as just saying, well, you know, we want to help the needy. I mean, obviously, we want to do the best that we can to help the needy. But there are a lot of nefarious forces out there that are using a lot of both. I mean, that are yeah using a lot of illegal immigrants for a lot of nefarious ends. And so... I, I mean, yeah, I think one has to be extremely careful.
um, before like delving into those issues because I do think there's a lot that's unknown. I even profess ignorance in, th- in that regard. And that's why I kind of hold a little bit back because I would say, look, I definitely would say we need to practice the corporal works of mercy. There's no question about that. You know, you feed the hungry, you give drink to the thirsty, you, you do the best that you can. Also, they're obviously always giving priority to the spiritual. Um, but right now, with the question of immigration in, in our country, like I say, it's pretty complex. And I don't think um, that uh, our bishops are are addressing nearly all those issues. Um, I think the question was something about how, like, gospel values. And I would say, look, it, you have conflicting gospel values when you're talking about all, all, the whole question of immigration. Because, I mean, you also have... In, in some of those countries where you have refugees that are fleeing from their, from, from their lands, uh, not all of them necessarily for good reasons, but let's, let's grant those that are, that are fleeing because they're being persecuted or whatever it might be. Well, you still have a, the other issue and, and gospel values kick in here. You have the other issue and why are they fleeing their country and what is being done there? I mean, are the, are the people that, let's say, have power there uh, practicing, you know, justice and charity and, all the, and also all the gospel values? Because if, if, let's say, you have authority and you're allowing others who have authority to abuse their authority, and so then a lot of their people are fleeing and you just say, well, we got to be charitable, but you continue to allow the others to, uh, you know, perform all kinds of injustices, well, you've got that other problem. So that's why I say it's pretty complex. I mean, I don't know how well an answer I've done, and I guess maybe uh, if, if Father well, Isaac I, wants I to. I just add a couple of things. Uh, you're always welcome to Shafter, Father Isaac. We're always. Uh, <laughs> uh, number one, our bishops are obliged to follow the teachings of the church, just like all of us. And our church, social teachings, acknowledge that there's such thing as a sovereign country, and a sovereign country has sovereign rights. And that means you have borders. And that you have to regulate who comes in and comes, because the first obligation, just like a father at home, his obligation is to protect and defend his family. So our country has an obligation to protect and defend their citizens first. And so, I mean, the stuff that's coming through, yeah, there's good people, I agree. There's there's people that, uh, uh, that are good and fleeing for, but there's also, the drug cartel, which is a big thing. There's also slex, uh, sla- a slavery, human trafficking, which is an abomination. And, 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 and our bishops don't uh, shame on them. And I'll say this, and this is the last comment to show you where our bishops are really at. Follow the money, the trail of the money, and you always find the, the, the heart of the problem. Our U.S. bishops are, are basically paid off by the U.S. government they average around a half a billion dollars a year, a little more, that the government gives to our Catholic bishops. And therefore, that's why sex education got into our schools and crucifixes were taken down and that our Catholic schools are no longer Catholic because once you take the money from these devils, then they own you. And so they're going to do what the, whoever has control in our government today, and it's the liberals, unfortunately, as you can see, they're going to do what they're told, and that's what's, that's part of the problem. 
Unfortunately, we're out of time for any further questions. Uh, the questions that were not answered, we will keep and we will take and, and pose them to Father, uh, Father Albert, who will answer them on uh, subsequent Ask Father video. So thank you, Father Isaac and Father Michael, for your answers and for your wisdom. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. We invite you to visit our website, www.fatima.org. Immaculate Heart of Mary, or Pronobis.